I think the first feeling I had when getting cast was it was exactly that, <laughs> was this feeling of like, oh my God, I got this job. Oh my God, I got this job. Like, oh no. now I actually have to do it. Now, like, you know, you audition really hard and you, you go after the job that you want and, uh, and then when you actually get it, you're like, now I have to show up and I have to prepare. Um, and there are, as everyone keeps telling me, big shoes to fill. <laughs> prepare your ears, humans. Happy, sad, confused begins now. Hey guys! I'm Josh Horowitz, and today on Happy Sag Infused, we're live at the 92nd Street Y with the cast and director of The Hunger Games, The Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes, guys. You ready? Um, I am so excited for this. I can tell you guys are too. Welcome to our live audience here. Welcome to folks watching around the world. Welcome to the Happy Set Confused listeners and watchers. Uh, this is kind of a full circle moment for I think a lot of us. We all love the Hunger Games books. We love the films. I was privileged enough to go along the ride with the amazing cast of those original films and I thought it was all over. Eight years ago, Mockingjay Part 2 came out. We said goodbye to the Hunger Games, but here we are on opening day for this return to The Hunger Games. And guys, this movie is amazing. It might be sacrilegious to say, this might be my favorite Hunger Games movie. Oh, collective gasp. <laughs> <laughs> um, we have an amazing group assembled uh, tonight. We're gonna, I'm gonna ask my questions, we're gonna ask your questions, we're gonna have a good time. You ready for this? Should we do it? Okay. Okay. Please give a warm welcome to director Francis Lawrence returning to the Hunger Games. To Josh Andreas Rivera as Sejanus. To Tigress Hunter Schaefer joining us. Rachel Zegler is here, Rachel. And Coriolanus Snow, Mr. Tom Blythe is here. Come on, Tom. Oh, we have a Sejanus. Is that a Sejanus Can blanket? I have that? Is that? <laughs> I want one. I want one. I have my own in real life, but I want one. <laughs> amazing. Hell yeah. It's amazing. In the dress and everything. So good. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Welcome. Uh, we have some enthusiastic fans. Congratulations on this amazing movie. Uh, the movie's out. Congratulations. Yes, it came out today. Yeah. yeah, a couple hours ago. How are you feeling? It's been a long time coming. Uh, are you exhaling yet? It's been quite a journey for all of you. Can you enjoy this moment? You just need sleep, basically. Uh, we need a little sleep, I think. I think we need a little sleep. Yeah, maybe next week is the exhale, relax, get healthy. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I know I'll speak for myself. I live in New York, and it's nice to be kind of wrapping up the press tour here in what is my, like, adopted hometown. Yeah. We have a bunch of New Yorkers in the house, so welcome, guys. Welcome home. Um, let's talk a little bit about, um, look, there is a high bar to reach with the Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes. Secretly, were each of you worrying, oh, God, don't let me be the one. Don't let me be the one to bring this down. Yeah, Tom. <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I mean, I think the first feeling I had when getting cast was, it was exactly that, <laughs> was this feeling of like, oh, my God, I got this job. Oh my God, I got this job. 
Like, oh no. now I actually have to do it. Now, like, you know, you audition really hard and you, you go after the job that you want. And, uh, and then when you actually get it, you're like, now I have to show up and I have to prepare. Um, and there are, as everyone keeps telling me, big shoes to fill. Yeah. <laughs> big shoes. You all filled them very well. Uh, you should be very proud. Um, I, I want to start, before we get into this amazing film, as I said, I had the privilege of covering uh, those first four films. And... I found a piece of tape I just want to show you. This was one of my last conversations with Jennifer Lawrence in 2015, uh, right before Mockingjay Part 2 came out. And I think you're going to find this very interesting, to say the least. Uh, can we roll this clip for, for the guys? Last thing for you. Looking at this franchise, obviously the end of Katniss's story, would you want to see this universe expanded for someone else for a different time period? I mean, do you have a vote in terms of what remains unexplored? I don't see how we can, but in my lifetime, I will see these movies get redone with younger, hotter people. So I think that's probably just what should happen. They should just redo everything better. Good luck. <laughs> So, uh, congratulations, the younger, hotter cast of The Hunger Games. <laughs> I don't really have a question, except... <laughs> but you did meet Jennifer finally recently. Was that, was that nerve-wracking? Was that exciting to kind of... She's super approachable. Um, that, that being said, I was still very scared to approach. Um, it was at a fashion show, and those are really like weird things to go to. Hunter can attest, it's like really strange. And um, I kind of just said, I'd just feel weird if I didn't say hi. And she was really, really nice about it. And then we took photos. And what you don't see in that video of us taking pictures together, you can't hear her say it, but she's like, let's take another one where I'm strangling you and saying, you'll never take my part. <laughs> so she's great. Sounds about right. Uh, let's talk about the casting of this. So Francis, first from your perspective, what was the approach? I mean, what did you, let, let's talk, let's pretend Tom's not here. What do we need for- Cover your ears. Tom leave, yeah, earmuffs uh, uh, no, for Coriolanus. Honestly, we needed the best actor possible. I mean, I think one of the things that Nina did the first time around with the first movie is bring, you know, really young, great, fresh faces, great actors to be the sort of front and, you know, center of the movie and the heart of the movie. We wanted to do the same thing. So we kind of knew that we were gonna be finding somebody you know, uh, fresh face, relatively unknown. Um, and we saw a lot of people. And I will say that Tom's audition came in very late in the game. I remember I was in Germany on a train and it came in and we watched it and I was with my assistant and he just kind of blew everybody out of the water. I mean, some of it was physical, right? You could sort of, you know, he's got the blue eyes. I could see that he would could possibly age up into sort of a Sutherland-esque like character. He's very intelligent, he's sophisticated, which are also sort of some, some important attributes to sort of transfer over to be believably turned into the Elder Snow. But he's an amazing actor, you know? He's Juilliard trained, he's amazing at his craft. We knew that we were gonna be able to get all the emotional values for this journey that he was gonna go on. So he was just absolutely the best actor for the role. I mean. So true. It's a hell of a journey for this character. We're in like Michael Corleone, Anakin Skywalker territory, like fall from grace. I will like, take that. Well, but truly from where Corio starts and where we see Corio at the end of this, no spoilers, but you probably all have read it, let's be real. Um, <laughs> uh, what was challenging, what was intimidating about the part? Like, did you have more of a read on kind of like where Corio was at the outset versus the end or 
What was the degree of difficulty, would you say, for this? Yeah, I mean, halfway through auditioning, I realized what the, what the part was, what the, what the film was, because at first it was kind of top secret. I got, you know, a few scenes to read for the first few auditions, um, and I was like, this seems dystopian. This seems kind of, like, somewhat familiar. Um, but I hadn't read the book, so I didn't recognize the character names and stuff. Um, and then at a certain point, I was like, oh, this is, the, this is a Hunger Games movie. And I, and I realized, did my research and was like, there's another book, there's another book that I need to read right now. Uh, and, and so I read it in like four days really quickly um, before my, my, my last few auditions. Um, and I remember thinking, first of all, this book is really freaking good. Um, and Suzanne Collins is a really great writer. Um, and then also thinking, this part is really hard. Like he is, he is dense and uh, conflicted and he has all these kind of like multitudes within him and everything that I thought I knew about the character from watching Donald Sutherland play him 64 years in the future um, is like a different, a completely different character, essentially. Um, and what I really knew was like, he's got to be so different by the end of the book slash film compared to where he is at the beginning. Um, and that it has to be, you have to be able to track that throughout, but it has to be subtle um, because it's like a psychological game that is being played out in real time. Um, and, the real tricky part that I think Francis and I both kind of acknowledged from the start was that the book is written from his perspective. It's, it's in like first person, now, not first person, but it's written from his perspective. Um, and, and then the, the, the film, like adapting that into film can be tricky because we don't have, we're not doing voiceover, we're not doing like a monologue overlaid over the whole thing. Um, so we talked about like how do, you, how do you bring that kind of perspective into it? Um, and I was like, oh, it's, it's just like all in the eyes, I think. It's gotta be watching his thought processes happen in real time. Um, so hopefully it works. <laughs> it works. Um, <laughs> Rachel, uh, I know from, from our chats before, you had an interesting you know, history with this project, right? You were, you'd been working a lot, let's be real, like, and you needed, you needed some time off when this kind of came around, and you she, almost didn't end up doing it. Yeah, that. she broke my heart, and then she mended it, luckily, but, but she broke my heart. I'm so sorry, Francis. I, st I still apologize to Francis all the time. I, I apologized steadily throughout the filming process because of how much I regretted the initial no, because I was having such a good time filming the movie. Um, yeah, I mean, reality is you get burnout at some point, and I was trying to be as emotionally mature, but also just, you know, self-preserving, and didn't feel like I had it in me to spend another half of the year out of the country away from my family, and so, you know, I initially said no, and I didn't want to lead Francis on, so I kind of really said no from the word go. We had such a good chat. Yeah, no, and I, I, I totally understood it because we had a four-hour meeting, and at the end of the meeting, I said, "Is there anything else you'd like to know?" And she goes, "Yeah, when's it, when's it happening, and where's it happening?" And I said, "July 11th in Poland or something." And it was just two days after she was going to wrap this movie. She hadn't even begun yet, further, you know, into Europe, and I saw her go white as a ghost, and I was like, "Oh my God, she's never doing this movie," um, ha, ha, and she didn't. <laughs> But just imagine your perspective now. If you were watching all of us on stage with another talented actress, you would have, I mean, good well, for I would them, have been but would very have been happy for her. Short. And I'm sure she would have done an incredible job. Um, but then I also would have been Jennifer Lawrence saying, you'll never take my part. <laughs> <laughs> um, Josh Hunter, talk to me a little bit about your interest in Hunger Games prior to this, your level of fandom when this comes around. Is it... I'm seeing a lot of nodding from at least one person over there. 
Yeah. Um, uh, let's see. I mean, I got into it in middle school, uh, and the obsession descended upon me really fast. <laughs> um, uh, and it was about the same time that I started reading the books that they were starting to film the first movie in Asheville, North Carolina, which is like four hours away from where I lived. And I remember like, like hearing about the casting call for extras and we were losing our minds because that was so far and we were like in middle school, you're not gonna like go do that. But um, uh, it, yeah, that's, that's about, that was my first impression. I was also a capital person for Halloween um, at that time too, Crazy. just a general capital person because wow. I loved the costume so much. <laughs> I found the picture today. I'll show it tomorrow. So, <laughs> stay tuned. Josh, what did you dress as for Halloween? Uh, I mean, we were Fred and Daphne. I was. Oh, this year. <laughs> <laughs> I think you Wait, meant as a kid. Are huh? you doing a Flintstones I movie? I, I did a. I did a. I, w I, I was never a Halloween guy. I always had this. I had the scream mask, and I would just wear that every year. Wait, and you're just a serial killer. Candy. Yeah. Uh, what? <laughs> You're just a serial killer. That's not Halloween. That's just a scary dude. Yeah, yeah. I was just scary guy for Halloween. <laughs> just general scary guy. I was guy. scary guy, uh, TM. Uh, <laughs> but, sorry, as far as uh, Hunger Games is concerned. Sure. Um, well, I did, I, I, I've told this story. I don't know if you've heard it yet, but it's, it's, um, when I was when I was younger, I didn't have such great grades, so I had to give up um, a lunch period to do study hall. And uh, we had this really good librarian who recommended the Hunger Games book to me, the first one, because everybody was reading it. He was like, "Reading's fun, I promise." And I'm like, "Boo, nerd!" <laughs> and but then you know I read it, and and then I was the nerd, and then. <laughs> And it was great. I was really genuinely very into it. I couldn't put it down. I was very much a casual fan. Um, I didn't dress up as a capital person or anything like that. But it was very much a, a relationship of like, uh, I really liked the movies. There was the whole Team Gale, Team PETA thing. And, you know, I'm like, oh, what a stupid thing. I mean, <laughs> like, but, then, but then shortly thereafter, I'd you know, be in my head like, well, obviously Team PETA. Right. Like, Just going the easy way to get the audience on your side. <laughs> Shameless. Cheap. Yeah, truly. <laughs> but I respect it at the same time. Let's talk about some relationships between some of your characters in the film. Um, Lucy, Lucy Gray and Corio, it's complicated to say the least. How do we, what, what, do they, what do they see in each other, you think? What do they do for each other in this story? That's it, isn't it? It's what we can, what we can do for each other is really what the other is looking for. Yeah. <laughs> wow, we went to I thought it was more than that, but you're just no. using me, I see. No. Okay. <laughs> no. No, I mean, we've had this, I feel like you and I have had this conversation where we talk about whether or not they were actually in love or if they were just trying to preserve themselves and seeing how they could use the other to their advantage and kind of came to the conclusion that it was a fun cocktail of both. Um, Suzanne wrote a complex relationship that has pros and cons, um, and, and in the end, it, it kind of comes down to the individual perspective on whether or not the cons outweigh the pros or vice versa. I agree. <laughs> no, um, I, I also think from Corio's perspective, he's grown up being told what 
district people are or what someone from District 12 represents to him. Um, and he's been told that they are chaotic and barbaric and you know they, they took his father from him when he was very young. And so when he then meets Lucy Gray, uh, and is she's everything but that. She's like free and fun and full of life and light and love. And I sound like some sort of soap commercial. Um, <laughs> by Dove. That was sponsorship. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Other soaps are available. Um, <laughs> no, but I think then she tests everything that he thinks he knows about the districts and about people who are from the districts. And it tests everything that he has been brought up to believe about the world. Um, and, and he kind of goes along with it for a minute because out of necessity, yes, but I think also because he's like completely fascinated by her. I think she's, he's never seen anything like her um, and feels like he never will again. Um, and at a certain point, there's a point in the film, I think, where, where kind of necessity and like using Lucy Gray to get what he needs kind of is almost swapped out for actual if not love, then some sort of infatuation or some sort of uh, like fascination. Um, but I, I do like what you said, which is like it's not kind of black or white; it's gray, um, and the relationship is—it's the Lucy. It, it all lives in the Lucy Gray. Suzanne's um, a genius. She's a genius. <laughs> but but uh, especially as an actor, that's like that's so much more interesting than like than like the black or white of it. You know, like it, it's so much more interesting to play. The like not the primary colors, but like instead of playing blue or red, it's like play the purple, you know. Um, yeah. Let's imagine this is a repertory company of actors. We're rebooting the original Hunger Games films. Who's playing what role? Francis. Francis, you want Go to cast ahead. your actors? Make the decisions. Uh, I'll play Haymitch. <laughs> we all want to be Haymitch. Yeah. <laughs> What's in that mug over there? Yeah. <laughs> Anyone else? Oh. Ooh. What do you think? I want to play one of those aggressive monkeys. <laughs> right. You know the the baboons. Yep. Yeah. I'd be. I'd like to be Cinna. I think it would be fun. And also my dog's name is Lenny, and then Lenny Kravitz, <laughs> so there's a connection. I like it. If that makes sense. Hunter, you're up. I'd like to play a loaf of pita's bread. <laughs> <laughs> wow. The one that gets I, tossed in the rain, you're like, that's me. Like Andy Circus mocap action going on, <laughs> basically. Josh, what do you got? I, I mean, I think realistically, I'd be like one of the guys behind the bad guy who's killing everybody, and I'm just like behind him, and I'm like, yeah, get him, yeah. <laughs> and I'm I'm kind of the henchman. You're behind Cato. Yes, like I'm the guy behind Cato with my arms folded, right? But, you know, yeah. Yeah. Why does that guy have a scream mask on in the back there? What's going on? <laughs> I was gonna make the joke that he'd be Jack Quaid's I would character, be, be scary Marvel. guy. <laughs> TM. TM. Yep. So, those are powerhouse actors that you're in a scene with. Is that intimidating? Is that uh, hell yeah, bro? Hell yeah. <laughs> That's it. Hell yeah. <laughs> are you over it yet? Or can you be chill around Viola Davis and Peter Dinklage at this point? I basically just didn't talk to either of them. I was kind of scared. <laughs> I was scared. I I, uh, I think the first time I talked to well no. I think the longest I ever was in a room with Peter and like socialized was when I, I told him my mom was a big fan and I asked him to sign my book. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
But yeah, it is. It's terrifying. Yeah. When, like, when, when you know they're first coming on set, there was like a different energy each day. Like the first day Viola came on set, I will never forget. Everyone was nervous. I, I think even Francis, you were like a little bit like, like she's yeah. Francis, like nervous. I'm not. I'm never nervous. <laughs> oh, I was nervous for sure. Right? Yeah. I mean, because you know, we had had conver- She and I had had conversations about the character. You know, so we we had the same vision for the character and worked on the the hair, makeup, wardrobe. Did the, you know, the tests for all of that. But because of the way these movies work and how big the casts are, we never have that like sit down, table read, you know, workshopping, rehearsing. So she walked in day one and she was going to be showing us all who her version of Gaul was. So, you know, you're just like hoping, oh man, I hope I don't have to like get into it with Viola about something. And, but she came out and just killed it. And it was the, a scene in Heavensby Hall in the beginning of the movie where she gives a speech and introduces herself and introduces um, Peter as well. And I remember she just came out and the command she has was so incredible and she was like on the mic and over the PA and there was a room filled with like 300 students from the academy and everybody erupted into applause uh, at her first take. Yeah. Um, and it was really, it was amazing. And so it was great and it's a relief and you knew instantly she was gonna be incredible. I mean, she is honestly one of the best actors of all time. Yeah, we, we like, after that scene, like, yeah, yeah. No, clap for her. <laughs> like, after that scene, we all were kind of like suddenly like even more nervous, I think, to go speak to her. And she and we'd all just been introduced to her when she gives this monologue and she's got this, you know, this amazing prosthetic eye and this amazing costume. And then I walked by stage and she sat there sipping a coffee, completely chill, cracking jokes. And I was like, oh, she's cool. She's like, she's, she's an amazing actor and she's just cool. Like, and then she sits and, and she like puts you at ease immediately. And, and I will say that goes for Peter and Jason as well, um, just like, great actors who each have their own like distinct skill and then also are just really good people and i think that's like that kind of runs through this franchise like through all the films it seems for to me and it's like what makes me so excited to be just a, a part of it is like you join this these like hallowed halls of like great actors who are also really good people and like family and all rally around francis and nina and and uh, and suzanne and and like want to bring it to life I, I would imagine i mean look by the nature of the work um, these are intense movies to shoot. I mean, you know, it's work at the end of the day. So I'm curious, like, is there a way to decompress during the shoot? Were you guys able to, it's also COVID times, I know, and were you able to, you know, decompress at all on location? A, f- a few of us, like, learned how to decompress together. Yes, for sure. <laughs> which, which ones? No, we had fun. <laughs> <laughs> a few of us would, you know, ha- we could have some fun. Okay. We were. How does that we, manifest? Does we it? were in Europe, and and it's you, we went dancing. We went dancing, and like when we got techno. together. Techno. Techno, to be precise. Techno. Techno. Hunter's a techno head. Like loves techno. I am too. <laughs> yeah, we go dancing sometimes. But also, Francis and has me like too. and Francis. Yeah. And me too. Francis. Francis has like a, a real insistence on the com- like this communal vibe on his set, a familial vibe. So there weren't really long nights on set because there was an insistence that we all get to sit down and have dinner, whether that be mm. together or not. Um, but really together a lot. And and Francis knows all the best restaurants. He knows all the best wine. And that's exactly what you want from that kind of experience where you're so far from home 
and don't make the wine joke you're about to make. <laughs> no, I, okay. was, I, was, I was actually going to be sincere, but oh. you weren't going to say it, I was going to drop you in it. <laughs> no, breaking news. Josh is a fake wine connoisseur. Oh. And, and the reason why is because he wanted to impress Francis, because Francis is a real wine connoisseur. So Josh managed to like create this whole... Old now, world. now. <laughs> <laughs> Here's the thing. <laughs> the, the story here, there's a, let me spin you a little yarn. Please. There's a little bit of lore here. Um, the first time we got together, uh, it was me, Francis, and Tom. We wanted to get like you know a drink or two, have some dinner, talk about what was about to happen. And uh, I ordered a glass of wine because I usually drink whiskey, but I knew that if I drink whiskey, I would have like three more whiskeys, <laughs> and then I would get fired. And so I was like, you know, I'm gonna be good. I'm gonna have a glass of wine. And Francis says, Oh, you like wine? I say, Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so began the three months of essentially living a lie <laughs> because then you apparently were really passionate about wine but <laughs> I, just, I just didn't want to drink whiskey that day <laughs> this all culminated in Francis buying Josh a really nice expensive bottle of wine and gifting it to him which Josh then left to, to bake and microwave in his rental car I for like three months and it fermented Not even more it's like into vinegar. Glove box. Yeah. Ooh. Which then Francis found out and was like, it You don't really like, like wine, do you? And Josh was like, Nah. It was like two nights. It wasn't. <laughs> I drank it. It was still pretty good. <laughs> I don't know how to get us back on track, but I'll try. Um, I do want to uh, you know, talk about like the music in this film is, is amazing. I mean, like uh, Rachel. Um, She's. I don't know if you're familiar, but Rachel Zegler sings and pretty damn well. Um, there's a, actually a lot of singing in it. Too. I feel like you sing more in this than West Side Story. Aha! <laughs> Aha! Twist. <laughs> um, well, it talks to me because, like, I feel like there's the singing, but also the physicality of this role is pretty intense. So, was that aspect the challenging part? For you, I the, mean, the action was the challenge. Yeah. I feel like Francis tried to make a mission out of trying to find things that were going to scare me, and like failed every time because I was so game to do it all. I, I did a movie where I didn't get to do any stunts, even though like my character had a lot of stunts, and I was so bummed all the time because the stunt guys were like, "Oh no, little lady." On this one, I wish they had stopped me more. <laughs> But they didn't, and I'm honestly so glad that they didn't. It was so much fun to learn how to do it. I was padded up by Scott and Steve every day, and, and Silky, my stunt double, would teach me how to do things. And, and I get to watch this movie and know that I'm doing 90% of what you see on the screen, which is so incredible and really not common for things like this. So then it made the singing days like, oh, this is just an, it's an easy day. And then people are looking at me like, this seems like the most difficult part. And it's just not. The backwards tumble roll down the incline of the cornucopia, that's the toughest part. Um, and then I, 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 you know, for Hunter, this is, correct me if I'm wrong, is this your first film? Ah, this is my first film to come out. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go. So, I mean, talk to me a little bit about what do you take from this experience? Obviously, Euphoria has been and continues to be an extraordinary experience. What do you take away from this experience that you apply to the next job or Euphoria? What's, what, what's, what's the learning from yeah. this? Yeah, I mean, I'm so glad that this all happened in the order that it did um, because, like, I was, like, I'm, I wasn't an actor, like, 
acting is like not what I was gonna be doing and I had never done it before and then I just got like thrown into euphoria. Um, and so that was my acting school and I feel like this role, because it really is a character piece and there's also like responsibility with taking on a character from a book that's also beloved by oodles of people like like um it's it I'm so glad that I had two seasons of euphoria to like help me understand like the emotional and like brain part of acting before I started taking on something like this which was a character and involved like character work that has to be accurate to like a book and not just like me being like a horny teenage girl you know <laughs> yeah when this the saga of this this shoot ends, uh, again, just calling it back to my experience with the previous cast, Hutcherson told me that the person that cried the most at the end of that series was Francis Lawrence. I did. I sobbed like a baby, 100%. It's why I didn't give a speech at the end of this, this one, because <laughs> I realized when I give speeches at the end of movies, I cry. But the, the, the Hunger Games was, it was really intense. I mean, it was about three and a half, four years of my life. And we did the last two movies back to back, which was really tough. It was across, you know, Atlanta to, to France to Germany. We lost Phil Hoffman in the middle of it all. So it was a, a very, very trying time. So when it was complete and it felt final and it felt done, um, yeah, it was heartbreaking. Any tears this time around? Did anybody? Oh, I cried every yeah. day. Yeah. I think we did. I think. <laughs> There was some, there was some tears, but not not for me this time because I got out of giving a speech. Right. So I just like I weaselled my way out of giving the speech. There was a moment. I mean, because the last thing we really did, and correct me if I'm wrong, I think I sang in the middle of a field in Berlin, and just to get like wild track with the wind and everything in the background. And I think it was the hanging tree, and and then I saw Tom who had dyed his hair purple, and Joshi was there, and the three of us like had this really beautiful group hug moment. And it was just such a, a sense of accomplishment, a sense of relief, but then also just, I'm gonna miss get, getting to come to work every day and see, oh no, and seeing these people. And I feel the same, like ending this tour out right now. It's, it's an amazing thing to come to work and see people that you genuinely enjoy seeing. The opposite sucks. So when you get to do like a global press tour too with people that you really, really love and, and people who are passionate about the thing that you're promoting, it's one of the most beautiful experiences. And so I have the same feeling right now that I had on the last day of working, which is just, this was really fun. <laughs> I have to say too, it was really, a, I'm just gonna paint a little bit of a picture of the final moment because it was really beautiful. We were shooting, there's a scene that takes place in these catacombs under the arena. Um, so it was dark in this kind of basement water thing, and we all came up because we were done. And so we went up to this field, and the whole crew was there. And they went dead silent, and she sang The Hanging Tree. I love you, too. <laughs> <laughs> we got him! We got him! <laughs> Stop it. I'm stopping. <laughs> oh, man. Just let it sit. we got to get through this together, guys. Hold hands. We're good. <laughs> The unusual part about this too is, this is one story. This is not, this is only because Suzanne had another idea for a story and that's beautiful, but it's also like, wait, there's so much more we could do with some of these characters. Um, but it really does, I guess, rely on Suzanne coming up with an idea, correct? 
to do more of these. Yeah, hundred um, percent. And I think yeah, Nina and I have always said this uh, because she writes from a, th a, a thematic place. She comes up with something that she wants to talk about and write a story about. Starts there and builds the story out and the characters out from those ideas. And I think that's what gives these stories the relevance, the reason for being, that kind of heft that you feel, um, especially when you sort of compare it to other, you know, YA material. Um, and so it just always feels a little shallow to start thinking of, you know, characters that you might want to see spin off without those thematic ideas first. So if you find yourself stuck in an elevator with Suzanne <laughs> for an hour, what are you pitching her? Any of you? What's what's the spin-off? Where spin -off did my the footprints go in the, in the woods? What happened? <laughs> I just want to know. <laughs> she doesn't even have to write the book. She just needs to tell me. Kind of, okay, so spoiler alert, they've all read it. But spoiler alert, what do we think happened among this group? What are your... I'm not saying anything. Yeah. Really? Do you I mean, know from Suzanne? Uh, yeah, I know. Wait a Wait. minute! <laughs> Wait, you know? You breaking news. definitively, you know what, what happens to her. No, I'm just kidding. Oh my God. <laughs> he is backtracking. He so knows. Yeah, he uh, definitely yeah. knows. Back we just traded tears, Francis. <laughs> exactly. No, I had to come back from the tears. That's okay. my way of coming back. <laughs> wow. Okay, so Francis can't answer, but do, you must have theories about what happened to Lucy Gray. She's your character. Oh, she is mine. Um, and I love her. I, I, I want her to be free so badly. The entire story is her fight for survival, at least on her side. Of course, this, it's, it's a story for Coriolanus and about Coriolanus, but Lucy Gray's motivation is to stay alive for myriad reasons, for herself, for her family, and for the hope of, of a better future for everyone, for the entirety of Pan Am. And so my hope is that he's having actual delusions at the end from the snake bite and that my footsteps do continue, or I scaled a tree and choose. <laughs> Juicy. Uh, I, I believe in her survival. I, I believe in her ability to survive because um, off camera, Casca Highbottom says that he's thankful that she survives Coriolanus, and I think it would be a disservice to her if she didn't actually follow through on that. Yeah. Love it. Yeah. I think she survives too. <laughs> I I think she survives because I think Coriolanus lives in fear for the rest of his life. I really do. I think, like, but I mean, hopefully some of you will see the film, uh, and <laughs> and at the end you'll see that he is like, like way closer to becoming like the future tyrant, President Snow, um, and it's all because he, I think he's like t totally fearful of like the freedom she represents, um, and I do think she has to live on for that freedom to to, to live in him as a as an innate. Yeah, that he tries to control for the rest of his life. Well, because that was her character. Her character, well, my approach to her was how do I make this person so enigmatic and powerful, yet still have a softness about her that, that he's able to fall in love with, that haunts him for the rest of his life. I mean, he looks at Katniss and he is scared out of his mind because of how much what she represents reminds him of, of Lucy Gray. And, and so that's like a, a really delicious challenge as an actor, but a really amazing thing as a fan of these books to read and see how Suzanne kind of flipped the script on her female character. As you might imagine, yeah. Thanks. I'm gonna I take- add, I really wanna, I also wanna see more from Tigris. Yes. Like I really wanna see more, I wanna see what happens to Tigris. Like, what happens? Where does that face paint tattoo stuff come from? 
you know? Me too. Your game? You're in? What? You're in? You're ready? Oh, I'm, I'm ready. The, okay. the, the, all that? <laughs> Absolutely. She is so fabulous in Mockingjay Part 2. <laughs> with, the, with the fur. Oh, gorgeous. As you might imagine, when we put out the call for questions, we got literally hundreds and hundreds and hundreds. So I want to get to some of them, and we're going to get to some of your questions as well. Uh, Call Me Kitty wants to know, who's the funniest on set? Who's Josh. The fun Josh. Josh. Yeah. I don't know. I really couldn't say. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. And Jason Schwartzman. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, I mean, man. He's, he's a riot. Wait. Yeah, <laughs> yeah maybe Jason. He Sorry, might. Josh. Mm. <laughs> made me laugh, honey. I don't know. I really couldn't say. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Michael Krawbuck wants to know, favorite musical moment in the film? Uh, there's a song called Pure as the Driven Snow, which is my favorite. I That's think it's a, it's a beautiful song that Suzanne wrote the lyrics for. Dave Cobb wrote the music. She sings the hell out of it. But I, I just love it in where it is in the, in the movie and just as a song. I think it's incredible. Um, Evening Everwark wants to know from you, Josh, how many times did you have to throw that chair and are your vocal cords <laughs> all right? Do you have a ballpark? I want, it felt like 26 times. It felt like so many I don't times. think we had that many tables. I wouldn't We didn't, but that's why it took so long because then they had to fix the table. Because the ta it wasn't like a durable table. It exploded. It was like, it, like, we had to put it back together in between each take. Oh, it took forever. I had such a headache, too. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, let's see. Uptown Livy wants to know your thoughts on Olivia Rodrigo's Catch Me Now. That's Angel. Yeah, I'll, I'll just jump in for a second, then they, they can speak on how they feel. But I, I mean, she just killed the song. I have to say, she came in, she saw the movie, she really, really loved it. She and I and some of her team sat down in a conference room, and I just spoke at her for like 45 <laughs> minutes about the movie, the themes, the feeling I like wanted at the end, um, narratively what I thought you know she could do with some with some of the lyrics, um, how it could tie in to Snow, to Lucy Gray, all these things. And she was taking notes and taking notes, and she's so young, but she is so smart. And three weeks later, I think this song came in and I was just knocked out. I thought she did, she just killed it. Is, I know there's a lot of musical talent on this stage. Does everybody here have musical? Oh, Tom, not so much. Tom can sing and play guitar. He needs, he needs to stop being humble. Yeah, but, but when you can like do something okay and then you're sat next to Josh <laughs> and Rachel, like you can't do it. <laughs> no, it's yeah. not just okay. You're like fully talented at yeah, singing. I, I, yeah. I, he, he did it in his trailer. You could hear it. When oh, yeah. Hunter opera. thinks I sing opera for some reason. It's not opera. I took it back. It's not opera. You have I don't been know what it is, though. but it's not opera. Was there ever a karaoke night? I would think that's the worst idea ever with Rachel and, and Josh. Probably. And I was not present, so that's why it worked out. Oh, wow. We, we did one karaoke night before Rachel came, and then we were like, we're not doing it with Rachel. We'll all just be, we'll all be, we'll all be so embarrassed. I love doing karaoke, too, and that's why I'm like, meh. We can go, we can go tonight after this. Uh, I really couldn't say. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm game. <laughs> uh, let's see. Oh, wait, Francis can play guitar, too. Francis is good. 
Sorry, I have a really great picture Thank of you. you showing. Well, Josh asked all the people on stage, you're on stage, Francis, and I have really cute pictures of Francis showing uh, Tom like easier ways to play certain chord progressions in like the field in, in Poland. Um, the one that looks like the, the Everlark scene with the babies. And it's a really sweet photo. Love it. Uh, Amy wants to know your favorite line from any of the films. You made me spill my drink on some brand new pants. <laughs> I love it in this one when Viola Davis says, down, down, down. Down in the cage. Down in the cage. She, she does some amazing vocal stuff in this. Definitely. Any others resonate? Um, I'm not made of sugar. That's good. <laughs> uh, Elvis Vault wants to know, how does it feel to be in the presence of the Capitol's number one fashion icon? That's you, Hunter. <laughs> the Capitol? I guess just let's all take a moment to revel yeah. in being in the feel presence. Really good. Uh, from our audience here, Alicia and Cam want to know, what advice do you have as an actor in the beginning stages of their career? If you had to start again, what would you do? What's your go-to advice for young actors out there, guys? Rachel's like, I don't know. I don't have good advice. <laughs> I don't, just try. I, I always say the faster you can figure out who you are, the better. Because uh, that's ultimately gonna be the fuel that you use for the rest of your life, is, is that special thing that everybody has as individuals. We all have something. It's unique, it di it's different, it's what makes us us. The faster you can identify that, the faster you can utilize it to you know, create a dialogue to understand circumstance, to have empathy for how you would fare in a situation. Um, that's my go-to. Nice. Advice, Josh. Yeah. yeah. I had a teacher once that said, compare and despair. And I feel like as a young actor, you spend so much time, so much wasted time and energy, like looking left and right at other people and what they're doing compared to what you're doing and whether you should be doing what they're doing more or whether they're further ahead in their career. And it's just like, it, you're in your own lane. You're not in competition with anyone else. You're really not. Like, yes, you are for the roles, obviously, but like really the competition. Uh, honestly, from a director's side, you're really not. You're not. Because yeah. the truth is most people that come in and like that I see are not bad. It's just they're suddenly the person that's right. And so it's, not, it's actually not a competition. It's not about being better than somebody else. And suddenly that person, like when your audition showed up, it was like, that's, no. Which I feel speaks to like Josh's point, which is like, you're only really in competition with yourself. And if you can like work out who you are, then you've kind of got it down and like you can express yourself freely and you're not like challenging. I don't know. It's like way funner that way too. And I, yeah, way I more feel like in line with what Josh said, it, it, you don't let other people tell you who you are. Only you can determine that, and also only you can show that to other people. Constantly people will try to put you in boxes. I say this as a member of a marginalized community in Hollywood. You don't get to tell them what script you fit. You get to write the script. And that's really the most important part. <laughs> What's an unscripted choice you made that you're proud of? The obvious one. The, the the curtsy, the bow, is a very nice one. That was oh. that was unscripted. That, that was unscripted, what? and I did it one take. And God bless Dave Thompson, our eight camera operator. He caught that shit. <laughs> and then Francis was like, "You can keep doing it." And and he came up to me, and he came to me with 
are you doing it because Katniss did a thing? And uh, <laughs> and uh, and we kept it in, and I thought that was really really nice. There's also like when we were doing reshoots and we were doing a scene that we belovedly called Love Alley, <laughs> Love Alley, and uh, and Tom grabbed my chin, and I just was like ew and. <laughs> And it's it's after Lucy Gray has kind of started to clock the sejanus of it all, and and a lot of things that are are kind of changing in between the percentage of trust on either side of the relationship, and uh, I had a an involuntary flinch to Tom grabbing my chin, and it made it in there, and it's so sick. What uh, would your first meal be after winning the Hunger Games? Emily would like to know. How do you celebrate? This horrific thing you've just been through. Burrata. <laughs> I have burrata. I love burrata. <laughs> and cherry tomatoes. And gnocchi bolognese. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say gnocchi bolognese is like, his favorite. I feel like Josh has thought about this. Yeah. I feel like he had a prepared answer. Oh, I know how to relax. <laughs> <laughs> no wine. Warm wine and burrata. Yeah. Anyone else? Bangers and mash. Do you know what that is? Wow. <laughs> He's so British. <laughs> you know what bangers and mash are? You're you, British. Yeah, I know, sausage. I know. I know that is such a cliche British answer, but like, growing up, bangers and mash was like my comfort food. Oh. I don't even like pork, but like, but if I had to, I'd pick bangers and mash. Toad in the hole. Yeah, toad in the hole is good. I love good. that. From a British person in the audience. Toad in the hole. <laughs> <laughs> Name your favorite British dish, everybody. No, don't do that, please. <laughs> Crumpets. <laughs> and when you guys see the film, it is so intense, and the camera is like right in your face. You are there with Lucy Gray. It must have been just like you must have had an intimate uh, connection with your camera operator, Dave Thompson. He's right? my best friend now. <laughs> yeah, and it, it's and it, truly because I didn't get to. I came right from another film, so I didn't really get the choreography briefing. So Dave was physically pushing me out of the way to make sure I didn't actually get hit by the machete that Reaper's holding, uh, Coral's trident. Like, I was truly in the Hunger Games trying to survive. And, uh, and yeah, Worst kind all, of method acting. A little bit method, it yeah. yeah. <laughs> and you're all up in my Vaseline sweat and fake dirt. Mm -mm. Get your tickets now, guys. Get your tickets now. <laughs> if uh, that doesn't get tickets sold. There you go. <laughs> All right, our last couple minutes, uh, rapid fire, the happy, sad, confused, profoundly random questionnaire. Anybody that wants to take these, feel free. Um, what do you collect? What's the weirdest thing anybody here collects? Guitars. Records. Stones. Do you collect stones? When I was a kid, I used to collect stones, and I still have a lot of them, Aww. and I really love them. Aww. It's so weird. <laughs> yeah. uh, wallpaper on your phone, anybody? You want to cop to what's the wallpaper on your phone? It's my mom. She's holding a, a chicken. Oh, yeah, She's it's got so a bunch cute. of chickens. <laughs> Mine right now Adorable. is me holding my dog as a baby getting out of the bathtub. But I have it alternating, so. Yeah, here's, here's my mama. Oh, that, that Yeah, I don't know if you can see. Uh, the chicken's name is Princess. Uh, she was really mean. Yeah, you hated Princess. Really you mean. hated Princess. I didn't like her at all. <laughs> it's a good picture. Uh, last actor any of you were mistaken for. I get Camila Mendez all the time. <laughs> I get Richard E. Grant, which oh is like, wait, uh, which great, but he's, he's 40 uh, years he's old. He's amazing. I know, I know. I'm like, I'm like, I am aging quickly. Apparently, <laughs> he's a, he's amazing. I love him, but but yeah, we are not the same age. No, no. Anybody? I get like Chris Hemsworth like, <laughs> all the time. It's like, yeah. yeah. Huh? I, don't, I, don't. I mean, 
Francis, does anyone ever tell you you look like an actor? Like, does that happen a lot? It's happened before, yeah. I don't want to say. Wait. Because I'm not. Ooh. I got Daniel Stern. <laughs> The guy, he was one of the criminals in the original Home Alone right. with Joe Pesci. <laughs> <laughs> so, wow. lovely actor, never worked with them, but you know. That's turning into a therapy session for everybody up here. Um, <laughs> what's the worst note a director, besides Francis, Francis doesn't give bad notes, what's the worst note a director has ever given you guys? It was just constantly, just urgency, urgency, because it was like a disaster. It's just like urgency. You have to be more urgent. But oh, that was one. The, no, but I'm saying no, like... No, 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 like oh, ever. Okay. When like oh, you see. just kind of, the whole movie was just like, can you be more urgent? And in reality, like on film sets, things are not actually loud. Things are not actually being thrown at you. Like it, it's really a lot of acting in front of the camera with things that are not actually happening around you. So the sense of urgency has to come from you. And so it got to a point where I was like, why don't you just tell me what's happening around me and then I will act. <laughs> <laughs> then I'll do the acting thing. Yeah. Um, in the tradition of happy, say I confused, an actor that makes any of you happy. You see the actor on screen, you're instantly happy. Hunter, you got one? No. Okay. There was a big, there was a big reaction and then no. <laughs> Josh Rivera. The cast of When Harry Met Sally. This time of year, it is, you know, it's like November, to, wow. Yeah, it's a New York movie. It's a yeah. Big we got some real New Yorkers in here. Yeah, yeah. No, but no, that's like it's festive, you know. And I get I feel woman fuzzy when I see that movie. Oh, movie that makes anybody sad here. What what gets you? Pan's Labyrinth. Oh. Blue Valentine. Yeah. Rough. Rough. Paris is burning. Nice, nice. And finally, yeah, Tommy had something. No, I, I can't. I don't want to think about sad things okay, right now. Okay, we're not gonna think. we think positive. Uh, Food that makes you confused. What food makes you Currywurst. We worked in Germany. I did not understand the fascination of curries. I know you love it. I know you do, Hunter. Yeah, I'm we sorry. Had, no. We, no, we had, had a bad experience. I think we, we had, had a bad No currywurst slander. I'm sorry. No, that's, that's, that's <laughs> insane. That's insane. We had I started a bad eating experience. meat again because of currywurst. It was, it, You're lost. Just, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. it's, kebab meat, like doner kebab. Like we were in Berlin and it's everywhere and they have a really pardon? good kebab. But like, what? You didn't go to kebab with attitude? I went to all of them, but it doesn't mean I understand it. Like, when you see it on that thing, I'm like, what is it? Right. I'll it's not me. I'll show you a video. I was confused, too, until I saw a video of how they make it. And now I know how they kebab? make it. I'm going to send you a video. Does it make you never want to eat it again? Like, no, it makes me want to eat it more. Oh, that's great. Can you send it yeah, to me send tonight? Send it to the group chat. Wait, I'm sorry. You're talking about like a like a kebab, like meat no, on like a stick with onions. When you go to like a place and they're like turning it off. Yeah, that thing. Yeah. Oh, okay. We're gonna talk street food for another hour if anybody wants to stick around. Yeah. Um, but you guys probably have tickets to the Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes, I'm guessing. If you don't already, get your tickets now. The movie's out in theaters, guys. Uh, this is a long time coming. Uh, it's a, an amazing piece of work. You all should feel very, very proud. It is a privilege always to see you, Francis, to see this new cast that is giving new life to this amazing franchise. Thank you all for your time. Rest, you're, they're almost done now. They can rest in a minute because the press tour is basically done now. So enjoy the moment, take a breath, and maybe Suzanne will have another idea one of these days, right? Thanks, Thank Josh. Uh, Thank you. Everybody, give it up for the cast and director of the Ballad of Song for Jesus. Thanks, Josh. And so ends another edition of Happy, Sad, Confused. Remember to review, rate, and subscribe to this show on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm a big podcast person. 
I'm Daisy Ridley and I definitely wasn't pressured to do this by Josh. <laughs>